All right. Uh, so this is our third week on this uh, study through the doctrine of hell, what the Bible says about hell. And um, two weeks ago, we uh, talked about the we talked about kind of four parameters, four uh, boundary markers, if you will, four things that, that we have to believe about hell if we're going to be biblical. Y'all remember what those four things are? Anybody? Last week y'all didn't remember, so I don't know. I don't have a lot of confidence that you're going to remember this week, two weeks later. Yep, it's what was the first, I didn't hear what the first thing you said. It's everlasting, it's punishment or uh, consequences for sin, right? It's conscious, meaning the people that are there will, will uh, be aware of their experiences and uh, God is the one who, um, who sends people there. God is the one who's in charge of hell. It's not that Satan is in charge of hell. And so each of those four things are important because each of those four things, uh, there's somebody that denies one of them or more than them, right? There's some people that say that hell is not conscious or eternal, that people uh, in hell, either uh, either people die and just go out of existence at the moment of death, or they're in hell for, a, for, a, uh, for some amount of time, but not eternal, and then go out of existence. Uh, there are people who believe that Satan is in charge of hell, um, uh, and, and, and so each of those are denied by, by some group of people, but they're all also um, in, in the Bible. So we want to believe all four of those, right? And then last week we talked about um, some different, um, different uh, um, pictures of hell or descriptions of hell in the Bible. Y'all remember those? Say it louder. Punishment, destruction, and separation, right? Or, or banishment, we talked about, as, as well as separation. Okay, good. So tonight, uh, we want to talk about uh, or look at uh, two objections to hell that people have uh, that, are, that are pretty common. There may be others, but these two are pretty common. And then we want to talk about four um, applications of the doctrine of hell, specifically for believers, Right, so how does how does knowing the doctrine of hell, how does believing what the Bible says about hell, um, how is that helpful or useful to believers? Okay, so first of all, uh, the first uh, of these two objections that are very common is um, is God or is hell fair? Okay, is hell fair? And really, when they when people ask is hell fair, what they really mean is is God fair? Right. Um, and, and kind of behind this question is, um, how is it fair that someone who commits a finite amount of sins over a finite amount of time uh, gets eternal punishment? That doesn't seem to measure up, right? In our, in our, in our justice system uh, in, in here on earth and even in our, in our minds of justice, um, someone does something wrong and there's a kind of an equal punishment that goes with that, right? And so this seems unequal. Someone lives on earth and commits a certain number of sins on earth and over a certain number of years on earth, and then they die, but then they are punished for eternity? Um, how, how, is, how is that fair? Um, isn't that unjust? And so three different answers to this objection, three different uh, things to, to think about, things to offer. Um, and, and we're gonna look at some scripture passages here. The first one is, uh, it's not necessarily an, a finite amount of sins over, uh, for, for what happens on earth, and that is true. Um, 
But if we read the Bible, uh, we're never given any indication in the Bible that people will have a chance to repent and turn to the Lord after death. Okay? So let's look at, a, at, a, uh, at one passage here, Hebrews chapter 9. And you may be familiar with this passage already, I don't know, but Hebrews chapter 9, uh, verse 27, uh, says, uh, It is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes the judgment. Right? It's appointed for men to die once, and then after this comes the judgment. And so the inference is, there's a life that lasts a certain amount of time, and then death comes, and when death comes, that's the judgment. And there's no chance after that to, to kind of make up or to change that situation, okay? We're never given any indication in the Bible that people are able to repent or turn to the Lord after they die. And so one inference of, of that is that after people die uh, and, are, and, and go to hell or, and are punished in hell, they're not repenting while they're in hell. They're continuing in their rebellion against God even while they're in hell. And so they're continuing to sin against God even while they're in hell, right? And so it's not just an eternal amount of punishment for a finite amount of sin. The, the, the hell is eternal, but that sin, that rebellion against God is, is eternal also. You don't have people in hell that are uh, repenting and, and believing in Jesus and seeking forgiveness for their sins. Um, people that are in hell are continuing to rebel against God and continuing to sin against him, continuing to um, to revolt against his just judgment and his, and his rule. Okay? So that's, that's the first reason that, that, that hell as eternal is, is fair. Um, and then a second reason, even beyond that, is just the Bible says that it's fair. The Bible says that it's fair several times. So let's look at a few other passages. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. In, uh, in verse 17, Peter writes, uh, If you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. So God uh, impartially judges, right? According to each one's work. God impartially judges according to each one's work. A couple other places. We're going to turn back to Romans chapter 2. Uh, and as always, you can turn there if you want to, or you can just listen along if you want to. But there's a few verses here in chapter 2 where Paul talks about God's judgment and, and the, the nature of it. So in chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says, And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. God's judgment rightly falls on people that practice these things that he's been talking about, okay? And so it's not like God's, God's judgment is unjust or unfair or his judgment is too bad for what people have done. No, he says his judgment rightly falls upon those who practice such things. So Paul tells us that God's judgment is, is right. Again, in chapter 2, verse 5, Paul says, but because of your stubbornness, and unrepentant heart, you were storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. 
And so your continual unrepentance, your continual stubbornness, your continual unrepentant heart is storing up more and more wrath for you over time, right? Because we think about sin as disobeying certain commandments, right? Think about the Ten Commandments or, or, or some other laws or rules or commandments given in the Bible. We think about sin in those ways, and that's absolutely right. Those, the, you know, breaking those or disobeying those commandments is, is sin, but there's also other sins besides just breaking commandments. And one very grievous sin is um, rejecting the goodness of God, rejecting the mercy of God, rejecting the grace of God, rejecting the forgiveness of God, refusing to bow down and worship God after all the good that he's done for us, right? In fact, in Romans, it says that, that, uh, that God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. And, and yet, Oftentimes that is the case. Oftentimes people do repent, turn, turn to the Lord and repent, but sometimes people don't. don't. And, and Paul says, don't presume on God's kindness. Don't take advantage of God because his kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. But, but often people do take advantage of it and presume upon it. Uh, one other place in Romans chapter two is in verse 11. Paul says very clearly, there is no partiality with God. And he's talking here in that same context of, of judgment. There is no partiality uh, of God or in God. Okay? And then one of the places in Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. And we'll look at the, the first two verses. It says, After these things, I, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous. For he has judged the great harlot who was corrupting the earth with her immorality and he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. And so here people are worshiping God in heaven. People are worshiping God because, specifically one of the reasons they're worshiping him is because his judgments are true and righteous. His judgments are true and righteous. So, so one answer to this objection uh, of, you know, it's unjust for God to punish people forever for sins that are committed uh, here, temporal sins, temporary t sins that don't last forever, but then they're punished forever. Uh, one answer to that is, uh, well, those sins are not necessarily temporary. They continue on even after people are in hell. A second answer is, you know, the Bible says that God's judgments are just. The Bible says that God judges rightly. And so even if we don't understand it, even if we don't see how, even if it doesn't seem like it matches up to us, the Bible says that it does, and we should trust what the Bible says. Even if, if to us it seems like, you know, uh, sins committed in, in time uh, and then punishment forever, even if it seems like those two things don't balance out to us, well, the Bible says that they do balance out, and we should trust what, what, what God has told us in his word, even if it doesn't seem that way to us, okay? And then a third answer is, um, even, if that, even if that first thing I said was wrong, even if sins don't continue into eternity, even if the only sins we're talking about are sins that, that people commit here on earth during the short lifespan they have here on earth, even if that's all we're talking about, um, even if it's just one sin, that we're talking about. Uh, even just a one sin or one act of rebellion against God deserves eternal punishment because God himself is infinitely good. 
God himself is infinitely good. And so the measure of how bad a sin is is not measured by the person who's committing the sin. It's not measured by uh, how long the sin takes place or, or that kind of thing. It's measured of how great the one being sinned against is. And so sin is so weighty, sin is so bad um, because it's committed against a God who is so good. Uh, and the better God is, right, the more good God is, then the more bad sin is because it's committed against that good God. Um, and, and we recognize that even in, our own, even in our own law system, legal system, right? We have certain crimes, um, whether it be assault or whether it be killing someone um, or whatever it might be, it's the same crime, right? You assault, you put your hands on someone. But we recognize first degree assault, second degree assault, third degree assault, fourth degree assault, depending on the circumstances around that, right? Killing someone, there's lots of different ways to kill someone, right? And our law recognizes first degree murder, second degree murder, third degree murder, you know, first degree manslaughter, involuntary manslaughter. Um, our, our law recognizes different situations around the same crime, right? And so if we think about sin, the situation around whatever sin it might be, the situation around that is that it's committed against the infinitely good God. Um, back a few weeks ago, um, or maybe even a few months ago now, uh, maybe I was preaching from Revelation, and I remember telling you all this story, so you may have already heard it, you may, have, you may remember it, you may not remember it. But when I was living in Oklahoma City, I was working at a church out there, uh, and there was this guy that showed up one day, um, he was from Georgia, young guy, probably 19 or 20 years old. Um, he was from Georgia. He was kind of wanting to get away from home. And he got on a bus and he met some girl at the bus stop and she was going to Oklahoma City. So he went to Oklahoma City with her. And then they got to Oklahoma City and she left him and he didn't know where she was. And he was just stuck in Oklahoma City by himself. No family, no friends, nothing. Um, and somehow he showed up at our church one Sunday um, and lots of, lots of kind of funny things happened around this kid. Uh, but, but he was a good kid, and we, we got to know him and talked to him, and he would come around a lot. And so one, one day, we took him out to lunch. We, I, I helped him write his resume, get all that to, in order. We helped him get a job. We helped him find a place to live. Uh, and one day, we took him out to lunch. And we were, we were eating lunch. He, this kid was not a believer. And so we, we went out to eat lunch, and we were, it was him and three of us. And on the way back, we were driving back from the restaurant, and we were talking, and he brought this up. He said, I just can't understand how a good, loving God would send anybody to hell. And, and I made this point to him. I said, well, that's because you're not thinking how bad sin is. Uh, and, and I said, Let, let's say, you know, we're, we've, we've been really good to you. We like you. We've taken you in. We've helped you find a place to work. We've helped you find a place to live. We just took you out to lunch today. I said, you don't know it, but we're on the way to Walmart right now to buy you a bike so that you can get to and from work and to and from your house. He didn't have a car, so you, have, so you don't have to walk everywhere. Um, and we're just doing that to you because we like you and want to do something good for you. You haven't asked for it. You haven't deserved it. We're just doing it because we want to, right? Imagine that you were to kill all three of us right now today, right? Well, that's, that's bad because killing someone's bad, but it would be even worse because you're killing people that have done so much good for you lately, and especially so much good to you that you haven't deserved. We're kind of going above and beyond, not, not to talk too good about us, but we're, we're going kind of above and beyond what you deserve, right? You're just some guy that showed up one day and we met you and you made some foolish decisions and here you are now in, in, in a bad situation and we've done everything we can to help you get out of that situation. 
And if you were to kill us, that would be bad because murder is bad, but it would be even worse because of the people that you're killing and how good those people have been to you. And, and even in a, in a greater way, there's, analog, there's an analogy there between that situation and us sinning against God. One of the things that makes sin so bad, uh, maybe the thing that makes sin so bad, is that it's committed against a God who is so good. One, uh, one guy wrote this. He said, only when we recognize God's holiness will we be able to appraise the horror of sin. If, if hell seems too bad to us, it may be because sin seems too good to us. Maybe because sin doesn't seem bad enough to us, right? So how is it, that, uh, how is it fair that God would send anyone to hell? Uh, those, are, those are three kind of answers to that objection. One, um, there's not necessarily a finite number of sins. People continue to sin even in hell, continue to rebel against God even, even in hell. Um, two, uh, the Bible says that God is fair and just in his judgments, and so we should believe that even if we don't understand fully how that's the case. Um, or third, um, even one sin is so bad that it would be deserving of an eternal punishment. Okay? A second objection that people bring up uh, oftentimes is, uh, what about people that have never heard the gospel before? What about somebody who's never heard the gospel? We, in our church, we, put a, we try to put a big emphasis on missions, right? We have uh, the laymen who are missionaries sent from our church. We've got other missionaries on the back, on our, at the bottom of our prayer list that we, that we pray for regularly. Our church takes mission trips and, and, and wants to go and, and help churches in other places. Um, we pray for missions a lot here, uh, and, and we give toward missions. And there are people in the world right now who have never heard the gospel, have never heard about Jesus, don't know the name of Jesus, don't know the gospel, don't know that there is a way of salvation. What about those people? Do they, do they go to hell? If they do go to hell, is it, is it right or just for them to go to hell, for God to send them to hell? Well, let's think about that. Uh, we got a, a, a few passages of scripture here we're going to read. Uh, the first one is Acts chapter 4. Okay, and this is uh, Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost, right as the Holy Spirit's come upon them. Actually, it may not be the, the day of Pentecost, but it's really early in Acts. It's really, really close to the day of Pentecost. But he's talking, he's talking here about Jesus. He, he and John have been arrested, and they're, they're talking now to the, um, to the ones that have arrested them. And he says in verse 11, talking about Jesus, He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And then in verse 12 he says, And... There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Okay? So Peter says if anybody's going to be saved, they're going to be saved in the name of Jesus. And that's all. There's no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. There is salvation in no one else. Okay? And then in John chapter uh, 14, this is Jesus speaking about himself. And in verse Jesus, he says, 
Jesus said to, in verse five, Thomas asked him, Lord, do, uh, we do not know where you're going. How, how do we know the way? And Jesus said in verse six, uh, Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. And then he says, no one comes to the father but through me. Right? Jesus says, I am the way and no one comes to the father. No one gets to the father except through me. I'm the only way to the father. Right? Jesus talked about being, uh, there only being a narrow gate, right, that, that leads up to the way. There's a wide gate that leads to destruction. There's a narrow gate that leads to life. And Jesus is that gate. Okay? Okay, so that's pretty clear, right? But then we still may ask the question, but why is that right? Why is that fair? How is that, how is that fair that someone who's never heard of Jesus, someone who's never had a chance to believe the gospel, would go to hell? And so let's look at Romans chapter 1, and, and then we're going to look at Romans chapter 3, but we're going to be here for a little while. We're going to read quite a bit in Romans chapter 1. We'll start in verse 18. Okay, so Paul says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Okay? So it's not that they don't know the truth, right? Paul, is not, Paul, doesn't, Paul doesn't say they don't know the truth. He says they suppress the truth. Okay? Well, what truth are we talking about? Verse 19. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. Okay, so, so people know that there's a God. Even if people have never heard the gospel before and have never heard of Jesus before, Paul says everybody knows that there's a God because God has put that in them, right? God's made it evident to them. He's put that within them. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. So God has put it in all people, but also God says he, he, or Paul says that God has revealed himself through creation, right? Another place in the Bible say this, Psalm 19 says this, the skies proclaim his, his, uh, his handiwork, right? The skies proclaim his glory, whatever that, that, that verse says that I can't, uh, can't quote right now. Uh, but the skies and the creation show God's glory and, 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 and talk about him. Here Paul says that his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have all been clearly seen. So people have seen it through creation. But also he says being understood through what has been made. So people have seen it through what's been made. And God, God has showed it, shown it himself to people in creation in a way that can be understood. And so the result is, he says at the end of verse 20, so that they are without excuse. Okay, now here's what that means. It doesn't mean they know Jesus' name, right? It doesn't mean that everybody knows the gospel. What it means is everybody knows that there's a God, everybody knows that God is good, and everybody's responsible for not worshiping that God. Everybody's responsible for not worshiping that God. Okay, let's, let's keep going. I see a little bit of confusion. Let's keep going. In verse 21, it says, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their, think, in their speculations, their thinking, and their foolish heart was darkened. 
professing to be wise, they became fools. And listen to this, verse 23, exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. So everybody knew there was a God. One evidence that everybody knows there's a God is no matter where you go around the world, no matter how isolated the, the village or tribe or people group or whatever it might be, no matter, no matter where you go, people are worshiping something. People are worshiping something. They know that they're supposed to worship. They know that there's a creator that, that, we're, that we're called to worship. The problem is, Paul says, people reject the knowledge that God has given in creation and we begin to worship the, cre- the creation instead of the creator. And so we form idols that look like birds, look like man, or look like four-footed animals, he says. Right? He keeps on going. Uh, Verse 24, therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their whole bodies will be dishonored among them. Verse 25, again, for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Okay, so again, God's revealed himself to them. They know some things about God. They don't know about Jesus. They don't know about the gospel, but they know that there's a God. They know that God is good. They know that God's their creator. They even know some things about God. He says he's revealed his, uh, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature can be clearly seen and understood in creation. And, and yet people refuse to worship him and, and worship the creation in, instead. So the result, the, 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 the punishment or consequences Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions for their women exchanged the natural, uh, natural function for, which, uh, for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, the man uh, abandoned the natural function of, of the women and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to honor, to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. Okay? God gave them over to themselves. God says, you don't want to worship me? You want to revel in your sin and your, in your rebellion? That's what you like and that's what you enjoy? Then have at it. Go for it. And God removed his restraint and let them just go and become as bad as they, as they wanted to be. Right? And, and, and we should be a little bit slow here to or kind of check our, our thinking because before Christ, that was us also, right? I don't know if you're familiar, but there's a, that passage in, I think it's 1 Corinthians 6, 6 verse 9 and following, where, where there's a list very similar like this, right? And Paul says, at the end of that list, Paul says, and such were some of you, but you've been cleansed and you've been converted. And, uh, and he, he goes on, right? You've, you've turned to Christ. He says in verse, uh, verse 32, and although they knew the ordinance of God, And those who practice such things are worthy of death. They not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. So so Paul says that uh, when we think about someone who is in sin, think about someone who's going to hell, think about someone who's never heard the gospel even. And we say, well, it's not fair for, for, for them to go to hell because they've never had a chance to believe. They've never heard the gospel. Paul says, wait a minute. These, we shouldn't think about people like this 
as being neutral. We should think about them as being evil, rebellious, uh, hateful toward God, haters of God, it said, insolent, all that, that list of things that could be applied to us as well, right? So we shouldn't think of people as being, uh, as being neutral, and then if they believe in Jesus, they go to heaven. If they hell. don't believe in Jesus, they, they go to hell. No, every single person deserves to go to hell before we even have the choice of believing or not believing in Jesus. If Jesus had never come, if God had never sent Jesus, then everybody would have gone to hell because hell is the punishment for sin. Hell is not the punishment for rejecting Jesus, right? Now, rejecting Jesus is a sin. So, so if you hear about Jesus and, and reject him, then, then yeah, that adds to your sin already, right? But you don't have to hear about Jesus before you're worthy of going to hell. You understand what I'm saying? Hell is the punishment for sin, right? Let's look, at, let's look a little bit further in, uh, in Romans chapter 3. In Romans chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says this. In verse 9, he says, What then? Are we better than they? Are the Jews better than the Gentiles? Are we better than they? He says, Not at all. For we've already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. Jews and Greeks, okay? So that's everybody, right? Everybody in the world can be put in two categories. Either you're a Jew or you're a Greek. A Greek, a Gentile is the same thing, right? And so in the Bible, you've got a category of Jewish people, and then you've got a category of Gentile people, Greek people, and Gentile Greek people is the same thing as a non-Jewish person, right? So you only have two categories, Jewish people, non-Jewish people. And Paul says, we've already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There's not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is the situation of people before they ever hear the gospel. And, and so, yes, the Bible says that if someone hasn't believed in Jesus, hasn't repented of their sins and turned to Jesus, then the consequence for sin is hell. Right? We can think about it this way. The consequence for sin is hell, right? Go on. And we're going to talk, we're going to, well, let's, let, let's just, let's move on because this is going to come up, okay? So those are the two objections. Is, is God fair? Is hell fair? And what about those who've, who've never heard? Um, but what about some applications? How is it that this doctrine of hell, knowing this, believing this, is, is good or useful for us as believers? And, and the first way, number one is, um, it satisfies our need for justice in the world. This satisfies our need for justice in the world. Okay? Um, things will be made right. Things will be made right. So let, let's look at a, at a few passages here or listen to a few passages here. Uh, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, uh, verse 25. For he who does wrong 
will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. The Bible assures us that if somebody does wrong, they will receive the penalty for the wrong that they've done. And we have this sense we have this sense in us because we're created in God's image. We have this sense in us that, that justice needs to be done, that, that justice must be done. When we hear a story on the news of something horrible happening, there, there's, a right, there's a right response in us that says, whoever's responsible for that should be punished, right? They should not get away with it, right? And, and, and that's how we feel. And if hell is real, then, then we can have assurance that justice will be done. People may get away with it here, right? Sometimes people get away with stuff. Uh, and and that, may be, uh, that may be some kind of hor- horrific crime we can think of, or it may be just some kind of interpersonal relationship you have with someone where someone kind of got something over on you or, or, or did you wrong or something like that, and it seems like they're getting away with it. But they're not. Justice will be done. There's a psalm, I think it's Psalm 73, where the psalmist says that he went and saw the wicked, uh, and he was thinking, how is it that the wicked are prospering and the righteous are not? It seems like the wicked are, are just doing so good in life and everything's easy for them, everything's good happening for them. And, and for the righteous, it's not that way at all. How can this be, God? And he says, then, uh, I think he says, then I went into the temple and I saw the end of their ways. And I saw that, yes, it may look like they're prospering now, it may look like they're getting away with stuff now, but there's, there's coming a day when justice will be done. And we can take satisfaction in that. Um, in Revelation chapter 20, we're not going to read there, but in Revelation chapter 20, verse 12, um, it talks about judgment, uh, but it talks about the books being opened and then judgment coming, right? And so judgment is a right response to things that have happened on earth. It's a, it's a just reward for things that have happened on earth. And so we can, we can take comfort knowing that justice will eventually be done, okay? Now, we continue longing for, for justice to be done, right? Because we don't always see justice done right now. So like in Revelation chapter 6, that you may remember from just a few months ago, uh, Revelation chapter 6 is when the martyrs are there uh, and they're crying out, how long, O Lord, right? And God says, uh, just a little bit longer till the full number of the martyrs are, is, is filled up and then, and then justice will be done, right? But they're crying out, how long, O Lord? Uh, Psalm 13 and, and some other Psalms, the psalmist continually says, how long, O Lord? How long will these things be allowed to, to take place? How long until you hear my cry? How long until you answer my prayer, right? And so it doesn't always feel this way to us. And there's this longing in our, in, in our being of, God, how long is it going to be? When are you going to do what's right? But the Bible says that God will do what's right, that justice will be done. Okay. Now, to go back for a second, take that and then go back for a second to what we're saying about those that have never heard. Justice will be done. So every sin that's ever been committed on earth will be punished. Every single sin that's ever been committed on earth will be punished. The question is, who will pay that punishment? Who will pay that punishment? And the only options, the only possible answers are either those who have committed the sins or Jesus those who have committed the sins, or Jesus. And so those of us that are trusting in Jesus, believing in Jesus, hoping in Jesus, uh, we're trusting that he has paid that penalty for us, that he has paid the price for our sins, right? And there's no other option. There's no other way that sins can be paid for other than Jesus, other than repenting and believing and trusting in Jesus. And so if there are people that have never heard the gospel before and have never trusted in Jesus and believed in Jesus and, and turned from their sins then their sins are still on them, right? Their sins are still on them. 
another, another application is, uh, is similar to what I already said about the need for justice in the world. Uh, but, but number two is it, this gives us a, a basis and an ability, it makes it easier for us to forgive people that have wronged us. And, and in two ways. One, because we've, we know that God has forgiven us when we've wronged him, right? And other people have forgiven us when we've wronged them. So that's one reason that, that, that we forgive those when they've wronged us. But another way, another reason we forgive people when they wrong us is because we can let go of that. If someone does something wrong to me, I don't have to be the one, I don't have to make that right. I don't have to, I don't have to balance those scales out in my own life because I can trust that God is the judge and, and that he will, he will do that, that justice will be done. Either, again, either on that person or on Jesus in that person's place. Okay, so, so second, it's a motivation or a foundation for forgiveness. And then, and then two more, Number three, it's a motivation for righteousness, for righteous living, okay? It's not the only, it's not the only motivation for righteous living for believers. It, it may not even be the primary motivation for righteous living, right? We don't try to live as good as we can, as righteously as we can, so that God will, uh, will like us or will accept us or, or, or whatever, right? God has already accepted us, already forgiven us for our sins. He's already, uh, he's already made us righteous in Christ, um, and, and yet knowing that there is who live eternal hell, punishment for, uh, for those who turn away from the Lord, for those who live um, in, in, in opposition to the Lord, it is, is a, should be a motivation for us to live lives of righteousness and, and holiness, right? If, if not because we're afraid that we're going to go to hell and have to do that, uh, have to face that punishment, because we know that our Savior has already faced that punishment for us, right? And if we have a Savior who has who has uh, taken the full wrath of God, then how can we take sin, uh, how can we not take sin seriously? How can we be flippant towards sin? It should be a motivation for us to live lives of righteousness and holiness, right? And then the fourth thing, um, the fourth uh, kind of application uh, for us as believers is, this should be a motivation for evangelism. It should be a motivation for evangelism, it should be a motivation for, for missions, right? When we're thinking about someone who's never heard the gospel before, um, and, and we're thinking, how is it that that, that, that person is going to go to hell if they don't repent of their sins and they've never heard the gospel before? Our, our first thought shouldn't be, man, how can God do that to that person? That's, that's mean of God or wrong of God or unjust of God. Our first thought should be, how can we go tell that person? How can we get the gospel to them? Either going ourselves or supporting those that go or, or, or whatever it might be, but it should be a motivation to us for for missions should be a motivation to us, uh, for us to evangelism in our own lives, our own families. I remember we had a lady here. She's she's not here anymore. She passed away. But we had a lady here one time whose brother passed away, uh, and we went to his funeral. He, his funeral was up in Indiana. He lived up, I forget exactly where, but somewhere up in Indiana. And we went to the funeral, and and I remember that lady who was probably in her 70s or 80s then, uh, crying and saying, uh, I, "I I will never let this happen again." I will never let someone that I know uh, or love or family or friend or whatever die without knowing about Jesus and without me telling them about Jesus. And she was in her 70s or maybe even 80s when, when that happened, right? And, and, and so knowing that there's punishment waiting for sin should be a, a, a motivation for us to evangelize, uh, for missions, to, to share the gospel with those around us um, so, that, so that they don't go to hell so that they are saved from their sins and, and are with, with Christ in heaven. 
All right, that's pretty heavy. Real, real heavy. But um, you guys got questions, comments, thoughts? Drew? Yeah, so, so Drew's question is, early on tonight I said that uh, answering that question about how is God fair, how is hell fair, if it's eternal and sin is not eternal. And so one of the answers I gave for that question was that, um, that sin may not be uh, temporal, that, that sin continues after people are in hell. They're not repenting and turning back to God. They're continuing to rebel against him. Um, and, and, and Drew says that in Philippians, Paul says, that at one, at, at one day, every knee will bow to Jesus, right? And every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Lord. And that's, if you didn't know, that's, that's quoted from Isaiah. Paul quotes that from Isaiah in Ephesians. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, in Philippians. And so Drew's question is, how, how, could, how do those two things go together? How is it that someone is continuing to sin in hell, but also if they're bowing their knee to Jesus and, and proclaiming that he is Lord with their tongues, then... Uh, then how are they still rebelling against him? Isn't that, isn't that that they've repented? Uh, and, and, and maybe so. Like I said, that, that answer to that question, uh, uh, that people continue to rebel in, 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 uh, in sin and hell, there's no Bible verse that tells us that people do that. Um, I, I was basing that on there's no anywhere in the Bible ever that tells us there will be a chance for repentance after death, right? Um, but, but how can those two things go together? I think they can go together because... Um, and, and this is not me making this up or, or whatever. I've heard other people say this before. There are two ways to bow your knee to Jesus in that context of, of Philippians 2. One way is to bow your knee to Jesus willingly and rejoicingly, proclaiming that he is Lord and, and loving it and liking it and, and being so happy that that's the case. And at the same time that you're, that you're proclaiming he is Lord, you're also proclaiming that I'm your subject, right? You're the Lord, I'm your subject. You're the king, I'm, I'm the part of your kingdom, right? But another way to bow the knee to Jesus in that passage, I think, is through gritted teeth, admitting something that you wish weren't true, but know is true, um, and... Uh, the way one person put it one time is through broken kneecaps, right? Not, not, that, not that everybody is going to, going to proclaim that Jesus is Lord and bow their knee to him willingly, but everyone will eventually be forced to admit that Jesus really is who he says he is, that Jesus really is the Lord. Um, whether, but some people will say that rejoicing and, 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 and liking that and being happy that that's the case, and other people will be saying that, admitting that, um, wishing it weren't the case and not necessarily worshiping him, but admitting that he really is who he is. Does that make sense? Miss Jetty? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, Miss Jetty said that, uh, that she understood that verse to mean that when Jesus comes back, Christians will be the ones rejoicing and, and 
Non-Christians will not be. That's right. That's what I was trying to say. You said it uh, shorter and more succinct than I did, Ms. Jenny. Yeah, that's, a diff- that's not the same passage, I don't think. That's a different passage, but Jesus does say that. Yeah. Jesus says when he comes back, there'll be people that are be hiding in caves. There'll be people that will be um, crying out for the rocks off the cliffs to fall on them and crush them to death because that would be better than facing the wrath of the Lamb. Yeah. Yep, Miss Lola. Yeah. 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 That's right. Yep. Yep. That's a really good point, Ms. Lola. So she pointed out, we, we talked about this last week a little bit. She talked about the, the story that Jesus tells in the New Testament about the rich man and Lazarus. Um, and last week we talked about that some, and we talked about how that might be a parable or it might be a true story. Either way, it's, it's Jesus telling it uh, to make the point that he's trying to make. Uh, if it's a parable, then we maybe shouldn't necessarily put too much weight on all the little details in it. Um, but either way, Ms. Lola's pointing out that, um, that even after the rich man is in hell, he's still trying to take advantage of Lazarus. He's still commanding Lazarus, send Lazarus down with some water because I'm thirsty. He's still trying to be the... Uh, he's not repenting of the way that he treated Lazarus before they before they were dead. Yeah, that's a good point. Yep, Miss Jetty. He sure did. Yep, Miss Jetty's correcting everybody tonight. He sure did. Yep, he's, he also said send send them to send him to my family to tell them so that they won't come here. And you remember what Jesus said. He said, if they didn't listen to the prophets, then they won't listen to someone even if he comes back from the dead, right? And, and, and again, that goes, back to, that goes back to what we were reading in Romans 1 and Romans 3, but especially Romans 1. He says that even if someone comes back from the dead, they're not going to believe. Why, why, why would that be the case? And I think the reason that's the case is because the problem is not that they don't have enough proof. The problem is that they're rejecting the proof that they already have that they're suppressing the truth that they know. And so even if someone comes back from the dead, they're still not going to turn. They're still not going to believe because that'll ju- they'll just add that to the list of, of, of truths that they're going to suppress and not, and not believe. They've rejected the truth, right? It's not that people don't know enough. It's that people don't, um, it's that people, uh, it's, it's a heart issue, not a head issue, right? Um, it, it, we need to be converted from the inside out. We need to have our hearts changed first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I think the Holy Spirit was active in 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 the life of the uh, Ethiopian eunuch and Cornelius, like you're talking about in Acts, and 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 uh, we know that. Um, the Ethiopian eunuch, was it Philip that was talking to him? We know that the Holy Spirit was involved in that situation because remember what happened at the end of that conversation? He was taken up in the spirit and disappeared and went, went somewhere else, right? So, so 
That's right. That's right. Yeah. But then God used that to sit, take the gospel back to Ethiopia, right? And, uh, and I don't know if y'all know this, but early on in the history of Christianity, um, like in the two, three, four hundred ADs, uh, think about like Augustine of Hippo. I don't know if y'all heard that name before, but he's a big, big name guy in the early church, wrote, wrote a bunch of books. Uh, there was a guy named um, Athanasius, who's a big name guy in the 200s, 300s BC, uh, AD, really, really big leader in the church, early, early church. But all of those guys were from North Africa. Uh, Augustine of Hippo was from Africa. Uh, um, uh, uh, who did I say? Athanasius. Athanasius' Athanasius's nickname was the Black Dwarf because he was a little short guy and he was from Africa. And that was one of his nicknames. And, and, and so early on in, in the history of the church, the, the church was really strong and, and grew. And a lot of the foundations of the early church are in North Africa. And, and I've got to think part of that is because of the Ethiopian eunuch, that he took that message back to Ethiopia and it spread from there to the surrounding lands. And the church became really strong in that area. Yeah. Good. All right. We're, we're pretty much out of time. Any last, last question or comment or thought? All right, well, again, uh, next week, the 28th, will be our question and answer panel. Uh, we'll have our pastors up here answering questions. Um, if you have questions, please come next week uh, eager to ask those. We're eager to, to answer those. Um, if you are uh, kind of bashful and don't want to ask that question out loud, or if you're watching online and, and, don't, uh, and won't be here to ask your question, then please get those questions to us, email them to us. Uh, you can call the office if you don't have access to internet or email. You can call the office and talk to, talk to Chris in the office and get that question to us. And, and, uh, and, and we want to do everything we can to answer all those questions next week. All right, let's pray and we'll be done. Father God, uh, this has been a really heavy study. And, 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 and tonight especially has been really, really heavy and weighty. And, uh, and, and, and yet, God, we know that you're good and we believe that you're good and we trust that you're good. And God, part of you being good is that you're just and that you're righteous and you do what's right. And God, we, we long for the day when justice will be done. And yet, God, we also are so thankful that on that day, on that day, Father, we will not face the consequences, the penalties of the, of the sins, the actions that, that, that we've done. Because in your mercy, those have been covered by the blood of Jesus. And God, we pray that that, that that will be the case for many, many more. God, even as we cry out, how long, O Lord, uh, send the Lord back right now. God, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that you didn't send him back before 1997 when I trusted in the gospel. And God, we're thankful that you were long-suffering and patient, bearing with us that others might come to know Jesus. And God, I pray you'd be using us in that, in, in that way, in our families, among our friends. Um, uh, in, in our co-workers around the city and, and even around the world as we participate in different trips and support missionaries that are, that are, that are doing that work. And God, we pray that many would be believing and that Jesus would be glorified in the lives of people all around the world. And God, we thank you for him, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.